What's up, Trace? I hope you guys are doing well. It's good to see you all. My name is Josiah Weiss. I'm the student pastor here. And before we get going, I just want to celebrate something else that happened last week as well. Uh, This is just a celebration Sunday kind of thing. Um, But last week we did something called Parents' Night Out, where our students, they wanted to give the families of Trace an opportunity to go out on a date uh, without having to worry about their kids, without having to worry about the cost or the availability of childcare. And so we had 40 students come and give free child care to the families of Trace, and that's something uh, that I want to celebrate them because they're, I think they're awesome. We've got some awesome students. Uh, but the next thing I want to say is that if you are a student here, whether you're a middle schooler all the way up uh, to a senior in high school, we would love to invite you to Trace students. Uh, we meet here on Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30. We have a good time. We would love to personally invite you, and uh, we hope that you would join us there. But we've been in this conversation about the gospel now for several weeks, uh, talking about what the gospel means and different things like that. And the vision behind this series as a church is very simple. That when it comes to the gospel and trace, we want three very simple things. And the first thing is we want to be the kind of church that studies it. And so we started this series off by simply explaining what the gospel is and what it's about. And uh, we talked about that for three weeks, and not just to you guys, but also to our fourth and fifth graders. But we don't just want to be a church that studies the gospel. We also want to be the kind of church that shows it. And Aaron came last week and talked about the fact that when we forget to show the gospel, uh, there's this hole that exists in our gospel. And so he challenged us to pack all these meals. He challenged us to fast. He challenged us to pray for each other. But he also mentioned something that I'm very excited about, and uh, it's this right here, the Jesus party, uh, that we as a church want to uh, provide a party for kids that have special needs. And uh, the truth is we need your help. That if you know of any families that have kids that uh, have special needs, we would ask that you guys would invite them so that we can get them here and we can celebrate them really well because this is another way for us to show the gospel and show the love of Jesus to some people in, in our community. So we want to be a church that studies it. We want to be a church that shows it, but we also want to be uh, the kind of church that shares it. That when we forget this crucial last step, when we forget to share the gospel with other people, that there is a hole that exists in our gospel. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, what it means to share the gospel. And to do that, I just want to ask two really easy questions. And they're these questions right here. Why should we and how do we? Why should we and how do we? And so let's start with that first one. Why should we? share the gospel? It's a good question. Uh, Maybe you guys are thinking like, I thought that's your job, Josiah, that, you know, we bring our friends here and you share the gospel with them so that we don't have to. I thought that's how this whole thing worked. Or maybe you're thinking, uh, what if they ask me questions that I don't know how to answer? Or what if I share the gospel with them and I get rejected? Or there's some tension now in our relationship or things get really weird because uh, the gospel is kind of a weird thing to talk about uh, over dinner. And those are all great questions, all good questions. Uh, valid concerns. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, the first reason we should share the gospel is this, that Jesus, he actually commands it. Jesus commands it. That while Jesus walked around on this earth, a lot of his ministry is characterized by eating with people that were unconvinced of who he was. And we see this throughout the first four books of the new covenant, that uh, Jesus hangs out with people that don't go to church most of the time. And that's always consistent in his ministry, but something else that's consistent is that the church people, the religious people, the Pharisees is what they're called in the Bible, uh, they're always criticizing Jesus for hanging out with these kinds of people. 
And this is exactly what we see in Mark 2 when Jesus, he goes to hang out with some sinners and some tax collectors, which would have been frowned upon. It would have been bad for Jesus' public image. And so this is what it says in Mark 2. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I've come to call uh, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That Jesus' ministry is characterized by hanging out with people who need him. And the Pharisees, they get mad at this, but Jesus doesn't care because Jesus would rather hang out with the people that needed him the most than the people that thought they knew him the best. And a very similar thing happens again later on in a story written by a guy named Luke. In Luke 15, Jesus, uh, he goes to hang out with some sinners and some tax collectors again, and the Pharisees, they get mad uh, again. This is like a common story in the gospel, but rather than reprimanding these Pharisees, Jesus, he tells them a story. He says this, that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often come to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them the story, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner. Don't miss that. Over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You have to see this. That Jesus, he places a priority on hanging out with people that do not know him so that he can share the gospel with them. That he would gladly leave the 99 behind and not be content with them as long as there's one person that still does not know who he is. Let me put this into perspective. Jesus would rather go search for the people out there who are not in this room, not faithfully seeking after God, than be content with the people who are already here because there are people out there who still do not know him yet. And in the same way, we want to model this just as a church. That as a church, uh, we will never be content with filled seats in an empty baptistry. That every seat in this room could be filled, but if we're not constantly sharing the gospel with people who have never heard it before, we are failing. Because we want to exist for those who are not yet a part of us. And we want to place a priority on reaching the people that do not know the gospel. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And not only does his life reflect this truth, but his last words are actually a command to share the gospel. That after he died and rose from the dead, he gathered up his disciples, his 12, or at this time, 11 best friends, and he said this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, sharing the gospel with everyone that you meet. In Jerusalem, that would be your neighborhood. Throughout Judea and Samaria, that would be your city. And to the ends of the earth, that would be the whole world. That God, he commands us to use every speck of influence that we have to impact the lives of the people around us and share the good news with them. And so why do we share Jesus? First, because Jesus commands it. But the second thing is this, eternity demands it. And there's a plague 
that is sweeping the nation right now, and it's found its way into our churches. And it's not the stomach bug, okay? It's, it's this word right here, apathy. Apathy. And apathy can be defined a lot of different ways. Uh, you could define it by its actual definition, which is a lack of interest or concern. Or I think this quote sums it up pretty well, which is, no mountain seems too high to climb when you don't care about climbing it. Like, that's, that's apathy. It's actually possible now to be apathetic about your apathy. Uh, like this person who graffitied this. Fight apathy. Or don't. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's your choice. And I would love to stand on the stage and I would love to tell you that we don't see apathy in a building like this or in people like us that follow Jesus. But sadly, especially when it comes to other people's eternity, we can be some of the most apathetic people in this world. And I think it's because a lot of us view eternity something like this, that eternity is just some big sheep pen. And our goal as Christians, our goal as people is to get into the sheep pen. And we spend the rest of our lives spending our time in this sheep in that we don't want to do anything wrong or we don't want to leave because we might sacrifice our chance, our shot at heaven. And sure, if we see a sheep outside the sheep in, we might say something, especially if we see them along the fence. But the truth is, like, life outside the sheep in doesn't look a whole lot different. It actually might look a little bit better because, I mean, you got like this nice pond over here and you got like a pasture. It's like it looks pretty good out there. And more times than not, we can view we can view other people's eternity a lot like this. And when it comes to sharing uh, the gospel with other people, you know, it's not a whole lot different outside not knowing Jesus than it is knowing Jesus. But the problem with that, there's two problems with viewing eternity like this. And the first is this is incredibly selfish. That my only goal is to make sure I'm good to make sure I don't get out of place, to make sure I don't leave the sheep pen because I don't want to sacrifice my shot at heaven. It's selfish. But second, it completely ignores the reality of hell. That eternity does not look like this, that there is a large difference between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. And if hell doesn't exist, then the gospel loses a lot of power. Because good news without bad news, like it's just news. Listen, if there's nothing to be saved from, we don't need grace. We didn't need Jesus to die. And you've probably wasted a lot of time and a lot of money in this place. And I should probably go find a new career because this one's probably not going to be worth it in the end. But hell does exist. And maybe for some of you, you've grown up going to different churches. You've heard different church services where every single message seems to be about hell and the, the somebody who's standing up here that looks like me or acts like me is literally trying to scare the hell out of you. And if that's you this morning, I need you to hear me. That's not our goal. That's not our intention that we never see Jesus use hell as a scare tactic for salvation in the Bible. But we do see hell used to create some urgency. Actually, every uh, author of the New Testament, they write about hell. Jesus just happens to be the one who talks about it the most. So just like Jesus, we don't want to use hell as a scare tactic. But I do hope that it develops some urgency in you. I hope it develops some motivation to share the gospel with other people because when it comes to sharing the gospel, guys, eternity demands it. And more times than not, it's not our feelings of fear or our feelings of rejection that get in the way of, you know, sharing the gospel with other people. Most of the time, it's the very lack of those things a lack of feeling, a lack of concern. It's our apathy that proposes the greatest threat for us sharing the gospel with other people. 
And listen, there is an urgency that we need to have because eternity is a long time. Like forever is, is a pretty long time. And you guys know this, that most people don't think about eternity until they have to. But you'd be surprised how many times someone like me or someone in Aaron's position, we get asked to do a funeral and the question comes, is my loved one in heaven? We have to ask the question like, did they believe in Jesus? Did they declare Jesus as Lord? Did somebody share the gospel and did they respond to it? And on the other end of those questions is one of two emotions. Either extreme gratitude because they can rest easy knowing that they're going to see their loved one again or extreme regret because they recognize that their loved one never had an opportunity like that. And more times than not, it's the apathy of Christians that have gotten in the way of people seeing Jesus clearly. And guys, what I'm about to say is a very strong statement, but I think it's true and I want it to sink in that people will go to hell on the other end of our apathy. That people are going to hell on the other end of our apathy. Because apathy, it never leads to action. And like I said, please hear me, I don't say this to guilt anybody. I don't say this to scare anyone, but I hope this conversation motivates you. Because yeah, sure, there's bad news. Like hell does exist. That's a reality that's there, but that's not the end of the gospel. That's not even the powerful part of the gospel. That's not even the best part of the gospel. Because Ephesians 2, it says this, that all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjects to God's anger, just like everybody else, that we all sinned. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we deserved hell, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, thank goodness. Because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Guys, that's the good news. That, that no, we don't deserve it, but Jesus, he did it anyway. He offers us grace anyway, and this grace, it's more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Sure, like we're going to escape hell. That's a good thing about it, but it's so much better than that, that when you choose to accept the grace that is extended to you, you get a new name. You get a new identity that's never going to spoil, never going to fade. You get a new community. You get a new family to be adopted into, to belong for a family that wants to love you. And you get a purpose that is bigger than anything you can imagine for yourself. And the best part about this gift of grace is this. It's free. And it's offered to everybody. And when you accept this grace, everybody wins and all of your sins are forgiven. And guys, people need to know that. People need us to share that with them. With them. Because as a church, we should make it as hard as possible for the people of the city to go to hell. That we should be bold about how we share it. 
that the gospel should always be on the tips of our tongue, that we should seek out opportunities to share Jesus with the people that we love, that the people of Colorado Springs would know that this place, Trace, is a place where, sure, we study the gospel. Yes, we're going to show the gospel, but that this is a place that uses every speck of influence that we have to fill heaven with the people that we meet. And guys, that we should never pass up an opportunity to speak of Jesus. So why do we share the gospel? One, because Jesus commanded. Two, because eternity demands it. But now that we know the why, how do we share the gospel? And guys, I could preach 10 more points and I could keep you to well afternoon uh, here today. And I, we could preach a whole series on this. How do we share the gospel? But today I want to make it simple for you. And if I could give you any tip at sharing the gospel, it would simply be this. Just be available. Just be available. I'm not asking you for everything. I'm just asking you for something. Just be available. And before any, I go any further, uh, the last thing I would want to do is give you impression, the impression that I have this all figured out. Or that like every person I've ever talked to, like I've shared the gospel with them. They've invited me over to the ha- their house and I've baptized them in their bathtub. Like that's not, you know, what happens, okay? That's, that's not how my life goes. I still have a long way to go when it comes to being available to share the gospel with other people. But over the years, I have made it one of my goals to share the gospel with anybody who will listen. And I know I'm young, but through many failures and through many opportunities, I have learned some things. And so today what I want to do is I just want to share three stories with you. Three stories of people uh, in my life that taught me what it meant uh, for me to be available for them to share the gospel. And so to do that, uh, I'm just going to introduce you to three people. And this chair right here, it represents Andre. And Andre is a tour guide in Israel, uh, one of the most intellectually intelligent people that I've ever met. Uh, he has much of the Bible memorized, has read through the Quran several times, knows uh, the Jewish scriptures and their traditions uh, front to back. He very intelligent man, fluent in five or six languages. Um, and I met Andre whenever I went to Israel, and he was my tour guide. And I was that annoying little kid, uh, but I wasn't a kid. I was in college. I was an annoying kid, though, that asked a lot of questions because I was interested. I was the, like, teacher, you know. But Andre, he, he was patient with me. And he answered every single question that I gave to him. But the most interesting thing about Andre is this, that although he quotes scripture all day long, although he uh, helped me see Jesus in a way that nobody else had helped me see Jesus before, although he walks the very places that Jesus has walked, and he knows more uh, about the historical significance of more of the, the places in Israel than just about anybody that I've ever met. Although all of that is true, for Andre it's just a job that he doesn't believe in Jesus, that he would tell you that Jesus was a good guy, but he's unconvinced that Jesus was anything more than that. And guys, when I heard that, that that shook me. Because surely this man who knew all the right things, who taught all the right things, surely this man who walked the very steps of Jesus, surely this man who'd helped me see Jesus in ways I'd never seen Jesus before, surely he should be following Jesus. And like, you have to understand, like, I walk past hundreds of people a week, thousands of people a week who don't know Jesus. And it's so easy for me to be apathetic. It's so easy for me to just not care about their eternity. It's so easy for me to slip into apathy. But for some reason, thousands of miles away from home, God made that very hard for me. And in my heart, he developed a passion and a discontentment for Andre that I wanted to do everything I possibly could to bring Andre to know Jesus. 
to share the gospel with him. And while I was in Israel, I tried everything. I had conversation after conversation with him. Uh, I answered all of his questions. Uh, I would point him to scripture and he would show me other scriptures I hadn't thought about. I even got home from Israel and I called him at 2 a.m. in the morning because of the time change to talk to him for several more hours about what it would take for Andre to believe in Jesus. And finally he stopped me and he said, look, Josiah, there's nothing that you can say to me that will make me believe what you believe. Nothing. It's going to take nothing short of God giving me a vision where he tells me that I should believe in his son, Jesus. And guys, when I heard that, I learned something very important. That I could try, and I could try to convince Andre. I could have all the right arguments. I could point him to historical fact. I could point him to different apologetic arguments. I could defend my faith perfectly. I could show Andre several stories of how Jesus has impacted my life, but at the end of the day, that's not what Andre needed. That for Andre, the best thing that I could do for him is to be available for him, not in my words, not in my actions, but in my prayer. And I would love to tell you that it was a one-and-done scenario. That I prayed for Andre, and he called me up, and he told me, hey, meet me in Israel, I want to get baptized. But to this day, Andre's still not a Christian. Seldom does a day go by, though, that I don't pray for Andre. That I don't ask God to give him exactly what he needs to believe. Because I hope, I hope that whether I get to see it or not, that someday I get to heaven and Andre is there. That, guys, there is a deep sadness and discontentment in my heart for Andre. And I hope I get to see him in heaven someday. But Andre taught me what it means to be available for him in prayer. So I'll ask you these questions. Who's your Andre? Who's the person who needs your prayer? Who's the person that doesn't know Jesus, but anything that you can do will not help them? They need something from God. How can you be more available in your prayer? Who is your Andre? That's Andre. Uh, This chair represents my best friend, Griffin. Uh, Griffin and I have been best friends since high school. This is a picture of us in high school. Uh, He's not the one in the middle. He's the one on the the left. And uh, no, that's not a mullet. He actually attached hair extensions, so people would think that's a mullet. Uh, Yes, I'm skinnier than I am now, and yes, we were both major tools in high school. So that was us in high school, but Griffin is my best friend. And Griffin would tell you that when he was in high school, his faith, uh, he didn't take it super seriously. That if you pressured him, sure, he'd tell you he believed in Jesus, but it didn't really affect uh, his life too much. Um, But when we were in high school, Griffin actually had two of his very close friends uh, pass away within a month of each other. And both of them unexpected, both of them tragic, both of them just awful situations. Uh, But one of the boys um, that Griffin uh, was friends with that passed away, Uh, he had recently taken on a lot of responsibility in the house. That his mom was a single mom, and so this meant that he needed to step up specifically when it came to raising this boy's little brother. And so when he passed away, there was a void. And Griffin made it his mission. I appreciate this about Griffin. Uh, He made it his mission to fill that void. That he would take this boy to uh, different practices and games. That he would pick him up from school. He would take him out to go do fun things. uh, That he tried to fill the shoes of a brother that this boy had lost. 
And over the years, time passed. And so fast forward a couple years, and we're in college. And Griffin is traveling from college uh, back and forth, you know, three or four hours, trying to make sure that he can still be there for this boy. When he gets some news that the mom of this family uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and it's terminal, and she only has a number of months to live. In that moment, there was a lot of fear that entered that family. There was a lot of fear that entered Griffin. And Griffin called me that night, and he was scared, and he said, look, uh, can you just pray for me? And so I prayed for him, and through several conversations, I asked him, you know, Griffin, what is it that you need from me? He's like, I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your advice. I don't need your knowledge. I simply need your time. That Griffin had been reading through the Gospels on his own, but he had some questions. And so he asked me, Josiah, what night are you available? And I told him Tuesday nights. So every Tuesday night for about two years, Griffin would FaceTime me with a spiral notebook and he would ask me several questions about Jesus. And I'd love to tell you that I knew all the answers to his questions, but I didn't. (laughs) He had a lot of good questions. And he began to gain confidence and he began to grow in his faith. And so finally I asked him, Griffin, why are you doing this? Griffin, what changed, man? And he said, look, I've always wanted to be a good role model, especially for this little boy but I'm starting to realize that I don't know how to do that. And I don't want to be who I am right now. I want to be different, and I need help. I can't do it alone. That for me to be available for Griffin, he didn't need my knowledge. He didn't need my expertise. He didn't need my advice. He didn't need a whole lot from me. He simply needed my time. And over time, just simply because I decided to be available uh, for Griffin, simply because I had time on a Tuesday night, God used me to show a clearer picture of Jesus to Griffin. But if I were being honest, God used Griffin to help me see Jesus in a way I'd never seen Jesus before. That Jesus loves lost people. And Jesus always dedicated his time to people who needed to know him the most. That if I could do anything, I wanted to be available with my time. Griffin taught me that. And so my question to you is, who's your Griffin? Who's somebody in your life that needs to see Jesus just a little bit more clearly, but your schedule keeps getting in the way? Where is a place in your schedule? Not that you can, uh, you know, organize your entire schedule and fit it in when you have time, but where can you organize your entire schedule around some people who desperately need to know the truth about the gospel? Where can you be more available with your time? Who's your griffin? Last story. This seat actually represents a ton of different chairs. Um, Growing up, so I'm going to leave it here. Growing up, uh, my family made it a priority to make sure that our dinner table was full every night. (laughs) That We had a lot of people over all the time, and I loved that. It was a lot of fun. But whenever I got into high school, that priority passed on to me, that my parents were like, Josiah, you need to make sure you're inviting people over. And so we would have my friends over on Wednesday nights, and we would sit around the dinner table, and we did that because we loved them. But the second thing was we were able to then bring them to church. Like, that's student ministry 101. Like, if you cook it, they will come uh, kind of a thing. And so this is a picture of my dining table in high school. And most of the time, our conversations were absolute nonsense, like absolute nonsense. Uh, you know, who was the prettiest girl? Who was the best of football? We all played football uh, together, or they'd ask my mom for dating advice. Uh, that was generally a fun time. Um, 
But there were times, there were times where things got a little bit more serious. And a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I shared the fact that uh, when I was a junior in high school, I also uh, lost a friend. We all lost a teammate. And when that happened, sure enough, they asked if they could come over to my house. And I'm a little embarrassed of this. I'm a little ashamed of this. But when that happened, there was a moment for me that I was like, this is it. Like, this is my moment. This is what God has prepared me for. I'm going to use all my wisdom, all of my knowledge, and I'm going to save these hooligans uh, from hell. Like, this is going to be a great moment for me. And so they all came over to my house, and they didn't listen to a word that I said. But I watched as my dad came into the room, and they, they listened to everything he said. That my dad had an opportunity to share the gospel with some of my best friends. And they, they gave them hope in a very hopeless situation, in a very hopeless time in their lives. They told them about, he told them about a guy named Jesus that loved them and wanted the best for them. And guys, for what it's worth, that was the moment that I decided I want to do this the rest of my life. There's nothing sweeter to me than giving hope in very hopeless situations, specifically when it comes to sharing the gospel. And what I want you to know is it didn't happen at a church. It didn't happen online. It didn't happen over some grand, uh, you know, event. It happened sitting around a dining table uh, while eating Little Caesar's pizza. Fast forward uh, to this past summer. Uh, many of you guys know my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And there's a lot of moments when your dad has cancer that aren't super fun. Uh, between the appointments and the diagnosis and uh, them trying to figure out what is best for my dad, there's not a lot of moments that are great. Uh, there are some good moments, though. When people send him letters, when I hear people encouraging my father, when I hear uh, that people are praying for him, some of those people were you, and so I just want to say thank you. But one of the best moments that I had while my dad had cancer was when some of my friends that sat around that table, they sent me a video and they said, show this to your dad. And it was a video showing encouragement. That they thanked my dad for taking them in. Some of them said, we didn't have food to eat anywhere, and you gave us a place to eat and have fun. Thank you for that. But then they also said things like, we're praying for you. That, that Mr. Weiss, we love you. That you're not alone. That we want to beat cancer together. Whatever you need, we are here for you. That they looked at my dad and they gave him hope. They gave him the ability to press on. They took some time to simply be available for someone that was available for them. The guys, from a man that encouraged some young boys when they were in a hopeless situation to see hope, to those very same boys, my good friends, turning around and doing the very same thing for my dad. Guys, that is the power of sharing the gospel. And guys, for those boys, it was not a sermon. It was not some well-versed pitch. It wasn't a cute illustration. It was not some well-orchestrated plan. It wasn't expensive or overly time-consuming. Guys, it was one conversation around a dinner table eating some food together that made all the difference for some people who were in a hopeless situation. But not just for them, also for my dad. Like, I'm happy to say my dad is cancer-free today, and I'm grateful for that. But I have to believe that some of that is due to some of the hope that was provided from some of my friends. And I'm grateful for that. But listen, my parents, they taught me what it means to be available with my home. And I'm still working on that. 
But my question to you is, are you going to be available? Are you going to choose to be available with your prayers? Are you going to choose to be available with your time? Because it will make a difference. Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Thanksgiving's right around the corner. So let me ask you this, who's invited? Is your home available? Where do you have an opportunity to make your home more available? Who sits at your table? Are you available to share the gospel with some people who need to hear it? Guys, I'm not asking everything of you, but I am asking something. And I want you to be available. And so over this this season, I just want to ask you one question to close, and it's this right here. Where can you be more available to share the gospel with others? Where can you be more available to share the gospel with others? Because Jesus commands it. You guys, our eternity demands it. Where can you be more available? Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for an opportunity to just uh, come here and hang out with some people uh, that love you. And God, thank you for the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to just hear about the gospel. God, I pray we would be an available church, that we would not be the kind of people that sit back, that we would not be apathetic when it comes to the eternity of other people. God, our lives are short, and eternity is a very long time. And God, we want to be available to speak to the people that need to hear your gospel the most. And so right now, God, I pray you bring a name to the minds of the people in this room, that you bring a face to their hearts, that that God, they would not ignore that, they would not be apathetic about that, but God, that we would be the kind of church that this city would see that we are the kind of church that uses every opportunity, every ounce of influence that we can to grow your kingdom. God, make us more available, whatever it takes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition now into a time of response. And uh, we want this to be a thin space. We want this to be a time in your day where you can have an honest, real, authentic conversation with God. That for some of you, you do know the gospel and you've accepted the gospel. And so all around the rooms, uh, we have these tables with some crackers and some juice. And we ask that you go there and you take those to remember exactly what it is that Jesus has saved you from and saved you for. That God has a plan for your life and that's a time for you to remember exactly what that is. For others of you, you have some thinking to do. You've heard about the gospel. You've heard about this guy named Jesus. And maybe you're wondering if it could be true for you. And what I would ask of you is that you just take this opportunity to sit in your seat and have a conversation with God. I promise he's listening. But I pray that you just have that conversation and see if this is something that you want to pursue. And if that is, we would be happy to have that conversation with you. But finally, in the back, we have some prayer stations where if there's something you're struggling with or if there's something you need prayer for, you can go back there and there's somebody back there that would love to pray, for, pray with you. Or you can fill it out anonymously on a piece of paper or on the app. I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I'm just asking you that you have the courage to do so. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, these people. God, I pray in this time you speak to us, God, that this would be a thin space. 
that you show us the people we need to invite to Thanksgiving dinner. You show us the people that we need to be more available for. God, that for those of us that uh, do believe in you and that have chosen to follow you, God, I pray that you remind us exactly what it is that you've saved us from, but that you would continue to restore purpose in our lives and point us in the direction that you need us to go. God, whoever is still wondering or has questions, God, I pray you speak to them in this moment. Draw near to them. God, help us to be a church that cares about the people who do not, do not yet know you. God, we love you. I ask that you give us the courage to respond right now. It's in your name we pray.